Let's read some scripture. This is uh, John 20, 24 through 29. If you don't have a Bible, in front of you, in those seats, there's some Bibles. We bought those Bibles so you could use them if you forget yours, if you like to read a paper Bible as opposed to your phone or whatever. If you don't have a Bible at home, take one of those home with you. That's our gift to you, okay? We want you to have a Bible. We want you to read the Word. It is the truth. It is the revealed Word of God. And so uh, we wanted you to read it for yourself. So if you don't have one, you grab one, you take it home. No one's going to tackle you for stealing one. Um, That's for you. So let's pray before we get started. Father, be with us today. Lord, it is Resurrection Sunday. It is the day. Oh, what a day. Uh, You know, Lord, what it means to me and what I believe it means to so many people in this room and listening online and who will listen to this at some other time, Lord, because of the technology you've given us to have these things last for a while. And so, Lord, I just pray you'd give me strength this morning uh, and you'd give us all strength of mind, of heart, spirit. Um, Lord, protect us spiritually, protect us physically, that we might hear your word and know it and know what's true. We love you, Lord, in your name. Amen. John 20, 24 through 29 says this. Now Thomas, called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. This is after he had risen. The other disciples therefore said to him, we have seen the Lord. So he said to them, unless I see his hands, the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them. Jesus came to the doors, being shut, and stood in the midst and said, peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, reach out your finger here. And look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. This is the day we celebrate the most important event that has ever happened in the history of the universe. The most, yeah, you can clap for that. This is the day we celebrate victory that was given to us by God through Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. For the believer, there is no day that compares. It's not like, well, there's July 4th, and then there's you know, Labor Day, Arbor Day, of course, you know, and so on. And then, you know, somewhere in there's Resurrection Sunday. This is it. There is nothing else on the level of this. Without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you would not even recognize the world you live in. Had he not come and died and risen, we would be in a very different place. People get worked up over all kinds of days. And hey, look, holidays are fun. Some people like the birthday thing. People are like, it went from, hey, it's my birthday, you know, maybe say hi on Facebook to like, hey, it's the week of my birthday. So there's people who are like, it's my birthday month. Yeah, okay. I'm not getting you a present, so don't bother telling me. Right? That's nothing. Resurrection Sunday. So because it's so exciting, I thought maybe we should talk about contract law. I guess I better explain first. We're in a series called White Lies, Exposing Half-Truths and Protecting the Gospel. And in this series, we are studying many of the lies that are popular, we have some, is this just to make it more dramatic? Nice. 
studying the lies. I'm just going to keep going. Uh, many of the lies that are popular today in the world. We have looked at apathyism. You know, I bet that's over here. I kind of liked it, I'm not going to lie. It was kind of giving me a little, it's like, yeah. We looked at apathyism. If you don't know what that is, well, you should come to church more often um, because we talked about it. But you can check that out online on the website, on YouTube, on Spotify, on, everywhere. Go to the internet and just be like, where is it? And it'll, it'll come to you. Um, so we talked about apathyism. And we started talking about uh, progressive Christianity. Um, and there was something that, we, that I was reminded of yesterday when I was doing some research. Um, good lies, they look pretty good on the outside. They do. It's like I, you think of lies and you're like, oh, that's just a horrible lie. But you know what? It's usually not like that. A good lie is going to twist. It's going to pervert truth. False teachers are not going to come right out and tell you an obviously ugly lie because obviously you'd never believe it. So they start out kind of sounding good. The ugly lie comes later after you've already swallowed all the ones that come before, some of which are true and some of which are false. Before you know it, you've swallowed the whole thing. It starts like this. I have an example here, and, and listen, I'm going to talk about something. This is not what the sermon is going to be about, but, you know, don't get worked up. In any case, it starts like this. Somebody would say, hey, we should love people. Like, That's true, right? That's true. We should love people. And they kind of work in, and they're saying, we should love people even if they're different. True. Obviously, I'm different, I've been told. <clears throat> Not in a good way, necessarily. Then we hear, we should affirm to people that they're valuable, even if we disagree with them. Again, we're still on a good track here. That's true. All those things are true. The next one is to go something like, it's possible that when we disagree, that we could be wrong. Now, here's where the twist comes. It's half true. It's half true. See, we can be wrong about a lot of things, but there's some things we can't be wrong about. Two plus two is four. It doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. It is impossible to be wrong about that. If, if that's wrong, then there's no such thing as right, okay? So there are things like that. I know that two plus two equals four. I know that I love my children. We can't agree to disagree on that. I love them. It's just the way. It's just the truth. You can't talk me out of it. I know that sin leads to death. I've seen it. I know it, I feel it, it was me being led to death before Christ saved me. So I know some things that we can't agree to disagree about or that I can't agree that I could be wrong about. So it's a half truth. Then when you get to the half truth, you start, once a twist comes, that's the tipping point. That's where it pushes. The next one goes something like this. People know who they are whether you agree or not. No, not true. People think all kinds of untrue things about themselves. For instance... People have believed about themselves that they were very good singers and could hit all the notes. I wasn't talking about me yet. I was gonna, that was coming later. But you've seen those American Idol ones, right, where they come in, they're like, everyone has told me I'm the best. They're like, ah! they sit, then they sing like me. And they're like, ah, oh, I don't think so. You know, get out. You know, that whole thing. But they believe it about themselves, right? So when you say people know who they are, whether you agree or not, that's not true. Sometimes they don't know who they are. Some people, there are people in hospitals who think they're the Queen of England. And I'm not talking about the Queen of England, who very well may be in a hospital. I don't care. I'm not from there. I, I care. She's like 100 people. Get, you know. 
relax. Like, don't talk about the queen like that. You're going to offend the British people. Uh, sorry. <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry. Um, there are cases where people believe things about themselves that are objectively false. So the statement, people know who they are whether you agree or not, is not true. It's not true. Next one. If a per- person believes something about themselves and calls it their identity, you should affirm their truth. We've taken another step down. It, it's all led from one place, so you have to see the way that they're working it down. See, there's, there's two ways that we do things, the right way and the wrong way. The right way is we deduce from what's true about God and who he is to what's right. The other way is you start there, and somewhere on the line you take a twist. You take a twist, and that's where, that's where this one goes. Obviously, it's untrue that you should affirm anything anyone says about their sel- themselves if it's, they say it's their identity. If somebody tells me I identify as a doctor but can't tell a knee from an elbow, I'm not letting them do surgery on me. I'd let them do it on you, not me. No, I'm not going to do it, right? If I go to the trailblazers and I say I identify as a 6'10", really good basketball player, they're going to say, I can't affirm that. I can't affirm that about you. It's not true. It's not true. It is untrue that people simply get to declare their own identities regardless of what the objective facts are and that other people must affirm their claims regardless if they're obviously untrue. Okay, it's not true. The next one in the list, and this is not what we're preaching about today. This is just an example, so there you go. It is morally wrong to deny that a male is a female if that male claims to be a female. Not true. You can see where it flows from the argument, though, right? If, they're allowed, if people know their identities better than you do, if they're allowed to say it and you always have to affirm it, then if somebody says, this thing about me is true, but if it's not true, you'd have to say it. Now, we're not talking about transgenderism today. In fact, I have a lot of sympathy for anybody who suffers with those kinds of issues, okay? But my sympathy for people does not make me compromise truth, okay? And so my point about this is not to talk about the issue itself. We'll get into that. That's going to happen at some point here soon because I think we need to understand how to help people and how to love people through those kinds of situations. Uh, but my point is that the lies rarely start with number seven, the last one I gave you. They usually start up at number one, and they twist as they go down. The earlier statements come first, progressively muddying the water until you buy the last statement. You can watch it in society. You can watch it in things people say and write and put on TV. Literally, you can just watch how lies have entered in and have become popular. Things that 20 years ago nobody would have agreed with, people will fight for now. How does it happen? It's a little, it's a little, it's a little, it's a twist. It just comes a little at a time. Did God really say? Did he really say that? Satan's very good at it. He's the father of lies. It's where lies come from. But lies can look good until it's too late. I ate at a restaurant uh, here in town once. This is years ago. And I'm not going to tell you the name of the restaurant because I don't want to get sued. You know how I feel about lawyers. Um, I'll tell you later if you ask, but I'm not going to say it on camera. It's a pretty nice restaurant. Um, I don't remember what the main course I ordered was, but I, I ordered fries as a side. Some of you are like, fries? It's not a pretty nice restaurant. Look, I'm a little less fancy than you, okay? I get fries at nice restaurants. So they brought out these fries, and they were somewhere between like a steak fry and a JoJo, or potato wedge if you're not from this area. Did you know that JoJo's, we only say that here. If you go anywhere else in the country and say JoJo, they are not going to know what you're talking about. It's a Portland thing. 
Just so you know. So you know that now. Don't, you'll look really dumb if you ask for JoJo somewhere else. They'll be like, what? <laughs> so look at what you're getting. You're going to have to tithe extra this week. All right. They brought out these fries, okay? Um, these potatoes look good. Fried potatoes, in my experience, usually look good. I don't know if you like fried potatoes, but if you say you don't, I think you're lying. They're very good. So I pick one up. I'm hungry, right? I pick one of these fries up. Mmm, steaming, whatever. I don't remember if it was steaming, but the, the story sounds better that way. So, you know, I put it in my mouth, and I start chewing. It's good-looking fry. Uh, I realized almost immediately that I had made a major mistake. I spit out this potato. I almost vomited, okay? Almost. The potatoes had gone rotten. And apparently nobody back there in the kitchen of redacted noticed, Okay? <laughs> As I started to chew these fries, when I put them in my mouth, the unmistakable smell of what smelled like waste. Yeah, you, you don't even know. I was the one who had to do it, okay? Just filled like my nostril and my cavity, right? It was so, dis it's hard to describe how disgusting it was. Although from your faces, I think I've done a pretty good job of describing it. So I only ended up eating like half of them. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I didn't eat half of them. <clears throat> that would be wasteful. In any case, <laughs> obviously I had them take away the fries. The point is, what looked good on the outside was rotten on the inside. It was rotten on the inside. Ideas can be like that sometimes. They can look really good on the outside. I was reading some stuff. The reason I brought, bring this up, I was reading one, a progressive Christian, and some of the stuff that they write is very compelling. Some of it's very true. Some of it sounds pretty good until you get a little deeper. And you see that the core is rotten. And so we have to be careful. We have to be careful. Because that's how people get you to fall for lies. That's how they've convinced themselves of lies oftentimes. So as I said, let's talk about contract law. I want us to understand how something that is clear can be made unclear. And how deception works sometimes. Most of you have signed a contract at some point in your life. You've signed a lease for an apartment or an employment contract. Perhaps you signed a health club contract. You have to like sell your kidney to get out of those, by the way, so be careful with that. Contracts are signed all the time, right? You download some app or your phone or install some software. There's like a 50-page thing of legalese, and it says, click this box if you've read and understand this and agreed to the terms. Here's a fun fact. No one has ever read that. It's never happened. They could be saying anything in those, in those contracts. I don't know. I'm like, I'm an attorney, and I'm like, no, not happening. I don't want that so I can play Angry Birds. I'm just waiting for the day when, like, Google shows up in my house, and they just start moving my furniture out. And I'm like, what's going on? They're like, you gave us this, and the last time we did a thing, you know, an update, and you pushed, I agree. And I'm like, you got me, you know. Well played, Google. Well played. I'm not looking at the thing, right? Google. Anyway. In any case, when you sign a contract and there's a problem with the contract, okay, somebody thinks somebody didn't, didn't do it, you go to your friendly neighborhood lawyer and you go to a judge and you say, hey, this guy didn't do what he was supposed to do according to this contract that he signed. Okay, that's how it works. And the judge is going to look at the contract, this, this written contract, and the judge is going to try to see who is right. But here's where it gets interesting, Okay. Those of you who want to wake up your husband and say, I'm finally going to say something interesting. Um, this is where it's coming. 
It's finally going to be interesting. Listen, sometimes one of the people who signed the contract will say that the words in the contract don't really mean what it seems like they mean. This happens in the law. There's actually a whole thing going on. One, contract, one person will say, hey, the contract says Sam will sell me all the chickens he has, let's just say. And Sam will say, when we put that term in the contract, I, what we meant was all the chickens I have in the red barn, which is only half my chickens. The other half are in the gray barn. And we talked about that before we signed it. So that's what it meant. But there's a rule for that. It's called the parole evidence rule. Not parole like my parole officer. Thank you, Officer Dan, for coming, by the way. I appreciate <laughs> coming this Easter. But it, parole as in a French word that it doesn't matter what it means. It's just what it's called, okay? Anyway, the parole evidence rule says that if a judge can look at a contract and what it says is clear, then this judge will not listen to any other evidence about what it may mean from the parties. Okay, so they, you can't come back in and say, this is what we talked about, this is how we negotiated, this is the, this is the kind of stuff. So you use that to interpret what's here. If it's clear from the face of the contract, all the chickens, if that's what it says, they don't need to go back and look at anything else. It's called the parole evidence rule. All right, so I know this is boring, but listen, I'm going to explain this more. It's going to come to you. And by the way, I doubt you could find a church within driving distance that's talking about the parole evidence rule this morning. <laughs> so at least you're unique, okay? Anyway, parole evidence rule makes sense, right? If, if it's easy to say, the judge can say, look, Sam, you got to sell this person all your chickens because that's what it says in the contract, period. That's the deal. All right. Um, you know, I'm not going to listen to your evidence about red barns and gray barns and that's what you meant, but they didn't think that's what you meant. No. Boom. Give them the chickens. Justice. Bam. Gavel. Everybody's happy. Right? Particularly the lawyers who are the ones who made all the money anyway. Um, jerks. I'm not going to... Uh, <laughs> here's the deal. What happened over time is the parole evidence rule has gotten squishy. Are you surprised? No, you're not probably. People started saying, what if the language is vague or unclear in the contract? And so judges said... All right, yeah, I can see that. The language is vague or unclear. Maybe we could use some testimony to sort of figure that out. And that makes sense. That makes sense, right? But then some judges went a step further. They said, what if the language is clear, completely clear in the contract? Sam will sell all his chickens, whatever it is. But one of the parties wants to offer evidence that could make it unclear, like Sam wanted to do here, right? And then some judges said, yeah, let's do that. Let's let them bring in evidence to make something that was obviously clear, unclear, and then we'll reinterpret based on this information that made the thing that was really obvious to everybody not as obvious anymore. Once that happened, the parole evidence rule, which had made things easier to handle and more clear, and forced people to be really clear when they wrote contracts, started to evaporate in certain places. Started to be not very useful. Now, there's a reason I'm telling you this. The reason is that people do the same thing with the Word of God. They do exactly, this is important, they do exactly the same thing with the word of God. They try to make things unclear, which are very clear. Things that you could not mistake, they will try to bring in stuff to make it seem like it's not as clear as what it says. And once they've done that, then they've got you. Once they've done that, they can start reinterpreting that scripture and every other one based on this lack of clarity that they've brought. But there are some things in the scripture that are just really clear. Couldn't be more clear. 
The scriptures, for instance, are very clear about what we celebrate today. The bodily resurrection from the dead of Jesus Christ. The empty tomb, the risen Lord. We've been studying in this series progressive Christianity, what people call progressive Christianity. Some progressive Christians, although not all, they're hard to peg down, some of these folks. Not all, but some progressive Christians deny the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. They say he did not rise again. Some of them say it's not important. It's not important whether Jesus rose again or not. There's an author at progressivechristianity.org that says that there's some people who like to go into Resurrection Sunday services. They really enjoy it. But here's the thing. Some of them can't intellectually sort of agree with the idea of resurrection, so we should find a way to make them feel more welcome. And he goes on to explain exactly what I'm talking about, trying to make things that are utterly clear in Scripture unclear and then change a the thing. And by the end of it, it's like, well, resurrection... I think we're really just talking, I mean, the body of Christ is there, so technically he's resurrected in the fact that the church exists. Or, or people have resurrection all the time. Like one thing, they do bad things, and then God helps them to do things that are better. That's resurrection. And that's not resurrection. Resurrection is that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and physically, bodily rose again. I'm not going to make you feel comfortable with that fact. No one's comfortable with it. It has shaken up the whole world. But that's where some people go with it. <laughs> Listen to what the actual scripture says. Grab one of those Bibles. 1 Thessalonians 4.14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. You want to rise again and be in heaven? Well, he better have risen again or that doesn't work. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 8. This makes it very clear. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel, which I preached to you, which you also received, and in which you stand, by which you are also saved. If you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believe in vain, for I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received. Now, this statement has been around that I'm about to read since the very, it's, it's probably the oldest thing in the New Testament, Okay? which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. And that he was seen by Cephas, then by the 12. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once. Cephas, by the way, is Peter. Um, of whom the greater part remained to the present, but some have fallen asleep. So when this is written, most of the people who had seen Jesus alive were still alive, could be checked with. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me also as by one born out of due time. Now, now keep listening. We're going to go to verse 12. Now, if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen, and if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ, who have died before, have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. There is no vagueness. There is no ambiguity. You cannot bring in an ambiguity 
to make things seem like this isn't really saying what it is saying. The scriptures are clear that Jesus died and bodily rose again on the third day. In fact, the scriptures are clear that if Jesus did not rise, there is no Christianity. There is no hope. There is no forgiveness of sins. Nothing. If we think that our hope in Christ is only about here and now and sort of like making us a better person or something like that, then we are of all people the most to be pitied. Because without the resurrection, none of that means anything. But that is exactly what some progressive Christians believe. That he did not rise or that it doesn't matter. Nothing matters more than his resurrection for your hope. Anna Skates is a children's pastor in a progressive church. She writes this. One thing to bear in mind is this. The point of the Easter story isn't whether or not Jesus literally, all caps, rose from the dead. We're missing the point if we're fighting over the historical accuracy of a bodily resurrection. We're not missing the point. You need to know this. We're not missing the point. Christianity turns not on that people should be nice, not on all the things that happen because the resurrection happened, like the fact that we love people and that we go to foreign countries and help people and help the poor and the widow and the orphan and, and, have, and, and try to improve our marriages and try to love. All of that comes because of the resurrection. You can't have it without it. There is nothing about being a Christian that does not flow from that event, the death and bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. When somebody says, you've missed the point, the resurrection doesn't need to be literal, they have completely lost the gospel. Completely. It is because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ that we have hope and peace and life. Now, Lord willing, we'll dive deeper into our study on the atoning work of Jesus on the cross in another sermon. But I don't want you to be deceived, and certainly not on this day of all days. You need to understand that the center point of Christianity is a historical fact, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. If you lose that, if you give up that peace, you have to see how Satan would want to work. If you can give up that peace and say either it didn't happen or it's not important, all the rest of the house falls. The foundation of Christianity is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Take away any one of those things, and talking about Christianity as if Jesus is some nice person is just nonsense. Jesus was either nuts, because he kept saying he was God. He said he would rise again, so unless you want to call him a liar or a crazy person, then you better deal with the fact that he is real, that he did live, that he did die for your sins as he said he would, and that he did rise from the dead as he said he would, and as many, many witnesses said he did. Acts 1, 1 through 3. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up, after he through the Holy Spirit had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Why is it important that Jesus rose from the dead? Why is, is the gospel writer Luke, who's written Acts here, inspired by the Holy Spirit to talk about the many infallible or unmistakable proofs of his resurrection? Because if Jesus did not rise from the dead, then he lied. 
because he said he would rise. And Jesus Christ is God, and he doesn't lie ever. Lies never come from him. And if he did not rise from the dead, then here's the bottom line. Neither will we. And we were made to be eternal. C.S. Lewis talks about this yearning that we have. This yearning that can't really be explained. That proves that we're eternal because we long for it. We long for the king of kings. We long for the kingdom of God. We long for peace and justice and righteousness. We know that that can be. That's not an impossibility. We know we hope for it. If there's anything true about us who are made in the image and likeness of God is that we desire heaven. Everybody, everybody desires those things. It's my story. It's my story that Jesus died for me and that he rose again and defeated death and hell and sin. I'm only alive today because of him. In any meaningful sense of that word, I'm certainly only spiritually alive because of him, and I'm probably only alive alive because of him. I go through rough times, just like you do. The world has fallen. Everything from tragedy to depression to pain to brokenness, it can happen to any of us and does, but not hopelessness. Not hopelessness. Hopelessness has no hold on us because we have a living hope. 1 Peter 1, 1 through 9. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Where's the living hope come from? The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Nowhere else. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. The longing of your heart, that thing in you that says, what's going on in the world is bad and I want to see an end come to it and I know there's no human thing that's ever going to end it because we've been trying that for thousands of years but I know there's something. That is your heart crying out for God. That is your heart hoping for resurrection. Who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, you greatly rejoice. Though now, for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. The genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you, whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with a joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Living hope. We have a living hope. It's a church named that in town. It's a good name. It's a good name. That's, that's what we have because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The difference for the Christ follower isn't that we don't go through tough things. The difference for the Christ follower is hope. We can have joy in Christ because of what happened, because of his resurrection. Not joy like I'm happy all the time. People who are happy all the time are weird, okay? <laughs> that's weird. 
Joy is deep and expressible. It comes with that living hope. It's knowing that we've been saved. Now, this is not just my story. This is not my truth. It's my story because it's the truth. It's the truth. I will not let the truth be twisted and perverted for me or for you. If you're going to be part of this body, this local expression of the body of Christ, we will not buy into lies. We're going to study so that we know the real thing. We know the scriptures well enough to catch the white lies. Not at number seven where they're obviously untrue, but right when they start to twist. That we might help those in the world who are being deceived and point them to Jesus Christ by pointing out the lies that are in the world. Because they too were made in the image and likeness of God and desire, desire the things that only God can give us. Jesus rose from the dead. You will too. And here's the deal. You'll rise unto life or unto separation from God. Those are the two options, not a third option. Listen to what the scripture says. This is what Jesus says. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus also says this, explaining the parable of the tares to his disciples. It's in Matthew chapter 13, 40 through 43. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of this age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness, and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Do you have ears to hear? Because you don't want to miss this. A lot of people missed this when God himself in the flesh and Jesus Christ was preaching it. Don't miss it as he continues through his word to tell us. I'm not telling you this to give you nightmares of torment in hell. It's not why I'm doing it. I'm telling you this to proclaim the true gospel that you can have life in Jesus Christ and have it more abundantly. I'm not going to lie about what's going to happen if you don't. But that's not what I want. I want you to have what I have. Peace. Joy. Hope. Jesus is not just some good teacher. He's not just another great man. Jesus is God, the only begotten son of God. That's who he said he is. That's who he proved himself to be. He died for your sins and rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and he sits at the right hand of the Father. And he is coming again. But we're going to celebrate this with him. Now that's going to be good. We already do. But we're going to do it face to face. He gives life to everyone who believes, to the Jew and to the Gentile, to the man and to the woman, to the child, to anyone who believes. It is reality. It is the truth. Listen, Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The disciples who were with Jesus, who saw him raised from the dead, they believed this and proclaimed the resurrection and many of them died for it. Anyone who wants to bring a white lie that says it's not important, they would never have died for it. This says it didn't happen, they would never have died for it. This never would have gotten going 
A religion of let's be a little nicer would not have made it in the first century, let me just tell you that. They weren't nice any more than we are. Only a transformational truth and a king who rose again was going to change the world like Jesus Christ has done. They believed it. They knew that without the resurrection, there is no Christianity. There is no reason to follow Jesus and there is no hope for us. But because Jesus Christ rose from the dead, there is open life now and forever. Now and forever. Don't miss the now part. We're already seated in the heavenly places. We've already been justified and sanctified spiritually. When you come to know Christ, you are made alive spiritually because you're dead if you don't know him. Now you can experience what it's like. Now you can start to experience eternity that will be made full then, but now and forever. That's Resurrection Sunday. That's the gospel. It's what I'm excited about. It's what I sing about. It's what I'm up here sweating like crazy. Old guy still trying to do it because I love Resurrection Sunday. Because I love Jesus because my life is his. I hope yours is too. I was saved from being a wretched sinner to being a child of the king, a child of God, and you can be too. Don't miss it. Those who call on the name of the Lord, those who believe that God raised him from the dead, they're going to be saved. Today is the day. Today is the day. There's no better day to have your spiritual birthday, to be made alive from the dead, to be born again into new life. No better day. You might have walked in here spiritually dead, but you can walk out alive. That's the only thing that matters. Nothing matters more. Not your boyfriend, not your girlfriend, not your kids. Certainly not most of the things that you care about in this life. Nothing matters more than going from being dead to alive. You have that opportunity now. I love you. Every one of you. God has you here hearing these words for a reason. Because he loves you. Because he made you in his image and likeness. There's a reason you're sitting here in this room. There's a reason you're watching online. There's a reason you may be listening to this or watching this later. He wants you to know that he's here to save. That he rose from the dead. That he died for your sins. And that he is resurrected. If you haven't put your trust in him, I beg you to be reconciled to God today. Through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Don't believe the lies. Let me just tell you something. They will not save you. I lived that way. It was only death. Only Jesus can save you from your sin. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you've risen. Thank you that we can celebrate this day. Spend time with our family. Eat ham or whatever. People are going to eat today. Mustard and hmm, maybe some potatoes that aren't rotten. Lord, Lord, I, I just, I stand in awe before you. I don't know why or how, when I think about who I am and who you are, how I could even enter into your mind, and yet you've told me that you know every hair on my head. That you love me, that you care about me, that when I'm going through things, you know that nothing will be too much because I can lean on you because I can cast my cares on you 
because your burden is light and your yoke is easy and I can hitch up right next to you, Christ, and you do the pulling. And all of that, because you are powerful, because you rose from the dead, because you've defeated Satan and hell and death and sin and darkness and injustice and oppression and all the ugliness that happens in this world, you've shown us the way and that we as your church can live in that. Lord, help us to live in that. Don't let us be sent away from you. Don't take your Holy Spirit from us. Let us live in your power, helping the poor and the blind and the naked and the suffering and the hungry and the thirsty because you rose from the dead. Let us live it out in every way. Let our minds be strong that no lies can penetrate. Lord, let us hold the tension between justice and mercy between grace and judgment. God, bring people into your grace in this place today. Every week, every day, Lord, let that baptismal be sloshing water all over this church. God, please, we pray for our neighbors, for our family, for our children for our sisters, for our brothers, for our parents, for the people at school, for the people at work, for anyone who doesn't know you, Lord, who stands under judgment right now, that you might draw them to yourself and let us be a part of it. Lord, that your resurrection power would go in this church, blasting out into the world. Vancouver, Portland, Seattle, Eugene, Medford, LA, Miami, New York, I don't care where, everywhere. God, we love you. In your name.